Chapter Twenty Two of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two Stone Tries His Hand. In getting home safely, Laramie had not flattered himself that he was not actually under what, in mountain phrase, is termed the death watch. In matter of fact, Van Horn and Doubleday had gone home to stay until the excitement should blow over. But they had left Stone and two men charged with intercepting Laramie on his return. The investing lines had not, however, been skillfully drawn, and Laramie had slipped through. He slept undisturbed until the sun was an hour high. Then, peering through a corner of the blanket that hung before the window, he saw Stone and two companions half a mile from the house, riding slowly as if looking for a trail, particularly as he readily surmised for his own trail. As to his horse betraying him, Laramie had no fear, knowing the beast would make straight for the blue stem north of the hills. It was no part of Laramie's plan of defense to begin fighting, or to force any situation that favored him, as he believed the present one to do. Few men that knew his enemies would have agreed with him in this view. They would indeed have thought it extremely precarious for Laramie to be caught in any place he could not escape from unseen. But Laramie was temperamentally a gambler with fortune, and he put aside the worries that occasionally weighed on his friends. Standing at his one small window, though this was by no means the only peephole in the cabin walls, he watched without undue concern the scouting of the trio, who beyond doubt had been hired to kill him and were only waiting their chance. After a long inspection of the ground, much of it out of sight of the cabin, broken by frequent colloquies, the three rode from the creek bottom out on the upper field, and halting surveyed the distant cabin with seeming doubt and suspicion two of them reined their horses toward the creek the third man spurred up the long slope straight for the house this put a different aspect on things laramie tightened a little as he watched the oncoming rider if it should prove to be stone he hesitated at the thought deciding on nothing until sure who the man might be but watching the approach of the unwelcome visitor coldly laramie put out his hand for his rifle he thought of firing a warning shot but to this he was much averse since it would mean a fight and a siege neither of which he sought as the man drew closer it was apparent that it was not stone and laramie decided that milder measures might answer he held his rifle across his arm and waited. But the man, as if conscious of the peril to which he was so coolly exposing himself, galloped rapidly away, rejoined his companions, and the trio disappeared. Laramie at the window watched the departing horseman. It appeared, from what he had seen, as if the watch had really been set on him. He got out his little bottle of oil and a rag and ramrod to clean his rifle. He made the preparations and sat down to his task in a brown study. The rifle had not been fired for some time, and it was a very long time since it had been trained on a man. 
He took it apart slowly, thinking less of what would next appear through the range of the sights than of Kate as she confronted him the night before in Carpy's office. He realized with a sort of shame that he was trying to forgive her for calling him a thief, which in point of fact, he argued, she had not actually done. And though she had certainly spoken careless-like, as Bill Bradley might say, she had only credited the tales of his enemies in her own household. Laramie poked and squinted as he pondered his difficulties. He had refused to give up Hawk to be merely murdered. He could do no less and respect himself. It had made her father more than ever his enemy. Still, he wanted Kate. Stone would assassinate him at any time for a hundred dollars. Van Horn, now that he was aware Laramie liked Kate, would do it for nothing. Laramie, indeed, realized that if he stood in Van Horn's way with a woman, he would not figure any more in Harry's calculations than a last year's bird's nest. And, back of all, loomed rancorous Barb Doubleday. How, he asked himself, could a girl like Kate pick such a bear for a father? All of which troublesome thinking brought him no nearer a solution of his difficulties. He had his life to look out for, Hawk to take care of, and a strong-willed girl to bring to his way of thinking. He reached at last the conclusion that the sooner he knew whether he could leave his own place and ride to and from Sleepy Cat without being potted from ambush, the sooner he would know what to do next. Persuading himself that the watch would wait for him somewhere down the road, Laramie, making coffee and cooking bacon, breakfasted, made his final preparations for death by shaving himself with a venerable razor, and, rifle in hand, got down as directly and briskly as possible to the corral. He got up a horse, rode back into the hills, and, recovering his saddle, started for Cimarron's. Having spoken with Ben, Laramie made a detour that brought him out on the creek a mile below his usual trail. Thence he rode as contentedly as possible on his way. The country for a few miles ahead was adapted for ambuscades. The valley was comparatively narrow and afforded more than one vantage point for covering a traveler. It was wholly a matter, Laramie felt, of bluffing it through. And beyond keeping a brisk pace with his horse, he could do nothing to protect himself. "'You're a fool for a luck, Jim,' he remembered Hawk saying once to him. But you'll get it sometime on your fool's luck just the same. When old Blackbeard, as he sometimes called Hawk, though no one else ventured to call him that, uttered the warning, it made no impression on Laramie. Now it came back, not unpleasantly, nor as a dread, only he did recall at this time the words, which was more than he had ever done before and he reflected that it would be very awkward for Hawk if their common enemies should get his nurse at this particular time. While this was running through his mind, he was not sorry to notice ahead of him the dust of the down stage. At that particular stretch of the road, it would be less nerve-wearing to ride beside it away. He overtook the wagon, and to his surprise found McAlpin on the box. 
McAlpin, overjoyed to see him, explained with a grin he was filling in for a sick man. In reality, he had substituted for the northern trip in the hope of seeing some fighting while out, and the sight of Laramie was the nearest he had got to it. Laramie, after a long talk, made an appointment to meet him in town in the evening, and as they reached the foot of the hill where the road climbed to the Sleepy Cat Divide, Laramie, feeling he had no further excuse for loitering, put spurs to his horse and took a bridle trail used as a cut-off to get into safer country. He rode this trail unmolested, crossed the divide, and coming out of the hills could see to the south Sleepy Cat lying below. He made up his mind that his judgment was more nearly right than his apprehension, and rode down the slopes of the crazy woman over the double drawbridge and up the south hill in good spirits. He had, in fact, got halfway up the long grade when he heard a rifle shot. Knocked forward the next instant in his saddle, Laramie drooped over his pommel. As his heels struck the horse's flanks, the beast sprang ahead. The rebound jerked back the rider's head and shoulders. While the horse dashed on, Laramie, with as little fuss as possible, pulled his rifle from its scabbard, trying all the time to get his balance. A careful observer could have noted that the rifle was drawn, but held low in the right hand as if the rider could not bring it up. Yet even a close observer could hardly have detected in his convulsive swaying that the wounded man was closely scanning the sides of the narrow road along which his horse was now flying. At all events, he seemed with failing strength to be losing his seat as he lost control of his horse, and a hundred yards from where he had been struck, he toppled helplessly from the saddle onto the roadway. The speed at which the horse was going sent the fallen rider rolling along the grade, the sides of which had been torn in spots by summer torrents. Near one of these holes Laramie had left the saddle, and into it he rolled headlong. The hole between four and five feet deep looked like an irregular well with an overhang on one side, and to the bottom of this Laramie covered with dust tumbled. He righted himself, and turning under the overhang took breath, put down his rifle, whipped out his revolver, looked toward the top of his well, and listened. Not a sound broke the stillness of the sunny morning. With his right hand, but holding his eyes and ears very much at attention, he drew a handkerchief, wiped the dust from his eyes and face, and twisted his head around to investigate the stinging sensation high on his left shoulder, almost at the neck. The rifle bullet had torn his coat collar and shirt and creased the skin. He could feel no blood and soon inventoried the shot as only close. But he was waiting for the man that fired it to appear at the hole to investigate, and with at least this one of his enemies he was in a mood to finish then and there. Taking off his coat as his wits continued to work, he spread it over a little hump in front of him so it would catch the eye for an instant and with patient rage crouched back under the overhang. He so placed himself that one could hardly see him without peering into the hole 
and that might mean any one of several things for the man that ventured it much depended in laramie's mind on whose face he should see above the rim an interminable time passed the first sound he heard was that of horses toiling up the long grade and the creaking of battered hubs this he reckoned must be mcalpin with the stage where his hat had rolled to when he tumbled out of the saddle to simulate death he had no idea if it lay in the road he might expect a visit from mcalpin but without stopping the stage rattled slowly up the grade it seemed then as if the distant gunman after waiting for the stage to pass would not fail to reconnoiter the whole yet he did so fail the high hours of midday passed with laramie patiently resting his colts up between his knees and studying the yellow rim of the hole and the heavenly blue of the sky his neck ached from the cramped position long held in which he had placed himself but he moved no more than if he had been set in stone neither hunger which was slight nor thirst at times troublesome disturbed his watch but it was in vain he sat like a spider in its web through the whole day without an incident a few horsemen passed an occasional wagon rumbled up and down the hill but none of the travelers looked in on laramie toward dusk he heard a freighting outfit working laboriously up from the creek resolving to give up his watch and go into town with this he felt his way cautiously out of his hiding place without really hoping to recover it he began to search for his hat and to his surprise found it in another gully near where he had tumbled from his horse the driver of the freighting outfit wondered at seeing laramie on foot he explained that he had been hunting and that his horse had taken a short cut home stone's companions under instructions had left him and returned to double days before the shot across the crazy woman stone himself got back to double days ranch at about the time that laramie started for sleepy cat in the evening but barb doubleday and van horn he was told were in town he followed them and discovered van horn in the barroom at the hotel i hear you got him muttered van horn bending his keen eyes on stone who said so demanded stone his horse came into kitchen's barn this afternoon all saddled mcalpin is telling ye heard a rifle shot on the crazy woman they're wild down there at the barn over it did you get him stone paused over a glass of whiskey his face brightened i tumbled him off his horse if you call that getting him van horn asked questions impatiently stone answered with the indifference of the man who had turned a big trick but van horn insisted on knowing what had become of laramie he tumbled into a hole said stone i didn't cross the creek to look for him why didn't you asked van horn nervously stone dallied with his glass i watched the hole all day he didn't come out that was enough wasn't it no snapped van horn well i'll tell you harry next time you and the old man want a job done do it yourself i never liked laramie 
I didn't care for getting too close to the hole he tumbled into. After he was hit, he stuck to his horse a little too long to suit me, said Stone shrewdly. Van Horn's retort was contemptuously and pointed. He laughed. Afraid of him, eh? Stone regarded him malevolently. Look here, he proclaimed harshly. I'll make you a little proposition. When I get shaved, we'll ride over to the crazy woman, and you can look in the hole for yourself. The uncertainty irritated Van Horn. When Stone, newly plastered, emerged from the barber shop, Van Horn took him with his story to Doubleday, whom they found in his room, chewing the stub of a cold cigar and looking over a stock journal. He did not appear amiable, nor did his face change much as the news was cautiously conveyed to him. When Van Horn announced he would ride out with Stone to examine the road hole, Doubleday, whose expression had grown colder and colder, broke in. "'Needn't waste any time on that,' he said with a snap of his jaw. Stone snorted. "'Maybe you think he wasn't hit.' "'Hit!' exclaimed Barb. "'Hit!' he repeated, raising a long forefinger with deep-drawn disgust. "'He's sitting in that room across the hall right now. "'What's he doing?' Playing poker, muttered the old cattleman grimly, with Doc, Carpy, and Harry Tennyson. End of chapter 22